Amen. Good morning. And I want to just second that. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your giving. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, this morning we're going to talk about who is God. God is just. When I was in grade school, back when Noah was still building the ark, (laughs) we would stand and we would put our hand over our heart and we would make a pledge. It was called the Pledge of Allegiance. It had a familiar ring to it. The last part says this, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Everybody knows the importance of justice. Even those who were putting together this allegiance saying of all the things that we should talk about, we need to push for justice in society. Yes, everybody knows how important justice is, even children. A family went to dine at a restaurant. A six-year-old boy asked if he could say blessing for the family. As their heads were bowed, he said, God is great. God is good. Thank you for this food. And Lord, I would even thank you more If mom bought us some ice cream after dinner with liberty and justice for all, amen. (laughs) I'm not sure that was real justice or not, but why is justice such a vital part of our everyday life? And that is because justice is a biblical concept. It's not a human concept, although we try It is a biblical concept. It is one of God's attributes, a nation where every human being, regardless of race, color, creed, sex, or social standing, receives a fair and equal treatment is one of our greatest and most lofty ideals and important. In fact, in the U.S. Constitution, in the preamble, They knew justice was so important that they said one of the purposes of the Constitution was to establish justice. Now, some people in this country feel like we have failed, and they feel like that uh, there are many travesties of justice, and they will point to many instances when people were not treated justly based on the color of their skin or their social standing or whatever. And uh, any uh, reasonable person would have to say that is true. Unfortunately, there are injustices all the time. But the fact is, all of us have suffered injustice. All of us have been treated unjustly at times. Have you ever been blamed for something that you didn't do? Have you ever been denied something you deserve? 
Have you ever been treated inferior because of your education or because of your finances or because maybe of your appearance? Perhaps you have unjustly lost your job. Someone wiggled their way in there. Maybe you've, it's even affected your savings. Maybe even your homes. Maybe unjustly so, you have been robbed of good friends that you've had. Unjustice is everywhere. Some have even been jailed for crimes you've never committed. Others have endured poverty and even disease through no fault of your own. The fact is, folks, each of us, all of us, have been unjustly treated. The real answer then is to find God's justice and appeal to that justice. And that involves knowing what God's justice really is. Well, that's the idea this morning. We're going to pursue this amazing topic. And I just am looking forward to it so much. Well, in a couple of weeks, it's going to be Mother's Day. And you got to thank God for these wonderful mothers because these mothers with their wonderful mom statements <laughs> have taught us so much character. Here are three of them, including justice. The value of a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. Logic, because I said so, that's why. And then justice, you'll like this one. One day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. That's the idea some have of justice. Well, let's find God's justice today. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and thank you. Thank you for this good church, Lord. And I'm still just uh, reveling, Lord, in your move these last few weeks. Uh, just, Lord, what you've been doing. And Lord, I just pray that this morning you'll just unite all of our hearts together on this great, important topic. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that are joining us and part of our online family, I just want to give a personal greeting. I love you. We all do. The God of the Bible is one God, and yet he has many attributes. We might say he is holier. He is loving. We have hundreds of trees on this property, and some of the biggest, probably the biggest, are the sycamore trees, these big trees, one tree, but they have many wonderful branches similar to our God. Our God has many branches to his incredible character. Scripture has much to say actually about justice. Over 130 times the word is used in Scripture. For example, and you can get a head start if you want to turn there to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, many know of Moses. Moses was known as the great deliverer. What you may not know was that he was a great lyricist, a great songwriter. In fact, his song here in Deuteronomy 32 was the number one billboard song in 1310 BC. Here was the theme of his song, people are crazy. How many say amen to that? People are crazy. People are crazy. But God is good. In fact, here's what he said, just and righteous is God. In, Deuter excuse me, in Job chapter 37, verse 23, one of Job's miserable comforters, Elihu, the best of the bunch, not flawless, but he had a better grip on God's character. Here's what Elihu said in verse 23, 
touching the Almighty. We cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and plenty of justice. Well, I'll tell you one thing, that verse is important. Because if someone is almighty, you better hope that they're just, right? Because if they have the power to do anything, you better hope that they do the right thing with that power. Thank God he is plenty in justice. He overflows. In Isaiah chapter 32, God is said to actually dwell in justice is what the prophet said. He lives in justice. God lives in the courtroom. You got to know he is just. The exilic psalmist in Psalm 89, who uh, Ethan, I think uh, it says at the beginning there of Psalm 89, he pointed out that every decree that God has ever made as king, every issue that he's ever done is absolutely, not mostly so, not partly so, not even a hundred percent so, a thousand percent just. Look what it says in verse 14. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. In fact, justice is not something God has. Justice is something that God is. Like, just like it says in the book of John where it says that God is love. Now, there are three aspects of divine justice. Let's look at them this morning. And by the way, uh, the, there is so much material this morning. We're basically cramming a, a month in seminary on this theology into one 45-minute uh, or so sermon. So hey, listen quick, if you would, please. Number one, the meaning of God's justice. The most common meaning of the word justice in the Old Testament is straight. God is straight. Amen for that. In the New Testament... It is a similar word. It is equal. The word justice or judgment is really the word for straight or equal. Then in a moral sense, it meaning that God always does the right thing. Just do the right thing. Now, wouldn't that solve a lot of problems if we just did the right thing? Don't say to somebody, just follow your heart. <laughs> That's trouble right there. Say, do the right thing. Do the right thing. God always does the right thing. All of his principles that are found in his word are always holy and always good. Every consequence that he orchestrates, always good, always fair. God has never been wrong. He has never issued a wrong judgment, ever. He's never condemned an innocent person, ever. Now, our court system is probably the best in the world, but I think all of us realize that our court system has some issues. But God's court system, never. He's never condemned an innocent person. He has never one time ever let a guilty person go free, ever. He'd say, well, what about, wait a second now. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now, his justice may be postponed. His justice may be rescheduled. His Justice may be put on another, but God has never let a guilty person go free. Peter knew about that in his first book, the first chapter, verse 17, who without respect of persons, God 
does not care who we are, how much money, what our name is, how much power, what our title is. He doesn't care. Without respect to persons, justice is issued according to every man's work. Now, what does justice mean? Three things. First of all, God cannot be anything but just because he is holy. He cannot do anything but the right thing. Because he is good, he cannot do anything but the right thing. Because he is loving, he cannot do anything but the right thing. His attributes make him do the right thing. He could no more be unjust than he could be unholy. Could God be unholy? No, of course not. Could God be unloving? No, then he could not be unjust. It is said that the late Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray once said to a man who escaped conviction on a technicality, he looked at the man and said, sir, I know you are guilty and you know you're guilty, but I would wish you to remember this, that one day you will stand before a better and a wiser judge than I, and there you'll be dealt with according to true justice and not human law. Yes, God cannot be anything but just. Number two, God does justice naturally. Now, as human beings, we might act justly. Sometimes we've acted justly, however, because someone's paid us off, greased the palm a little bit, as they say. Or perhaps we've acted justly because we've been forced to do so. We see that every day in the political world. Someone is Force their hands to do something just. In California, we've seen that. It's been hard to get the governor to do justly, and we're seeing a, a little bit of opening in that. But he had to be forced to do so. God has never been forced. God's never been bribed or never been bullied. He does what is right because it is nature. He loves justice. That's why David reminded us in Psalm 37 and verse 28, the Lord loves judgment. He just loves to do the right thing. Now, we love justice too, don't we? At least we love justice when we've been wronged. <laughs> I'm not so big a fan of justice when I've been the wrongdoer. But when someone's done me wrong, I, boy, I want justice. Today, there's a fallacy in America, really around the world. It is called social justice. And the rhetoric is at an all-time high. And just about every cause that is deemed politically correct is screaming to be heard. Feminism, liberalism, animal rights, LGBT, you name it. Everybody today is on a social crusade, it seems. By the way, did you hear about the insomniac social activist? Yes. Well, he was. He woke he was woke. Anyway, um, discerning Christians, however, I love that. Discerning, he got woke. Discerning Christians, however, they see through the term social justice. It's a smokescreen. To these people, our society is not just. We haven't achieved true social justice. They want everybody to have the same status, everybody to have the same privilege. They want everybody to have the same wealth. Hmm. 
Kind of sounds like socialism to me, doesn't it? Unfortunately, that concept of social justice has seeped even into the gospel. We saw that displayed just arrogantly and blatantly this past Sunday, Easter 2021. Georgia Senator, Baptist Pastor, Raphael Warnock tweeted the following, and I quote, the meaning of Easter. Well, good. I'm glad this pastor is going to give us the meaning of Easter. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus. What? It is through a commitment to helping others, and listen to this, that we are able to save ourselves. We save ourselves? That is the biggest crazy I've ever heard in my life. I'll tell you one thing. I do not recommend you standing before a holy God someday and saying, God, I'm here. I saved myself. That's not going to work. And the very idea that a Baptist pastor would stand and say, the Easter is not really about the resurrection. It's about awaking ourselves to the needs of the world around us, the social injustices, folks. I'm telling you, that kind of concept is seeping into the churches today. Three things justice means. God cannot be anything but just. Number two, God does, not, God does justice naturally. And number three, God has never wronged any. Anybody, any animal, you name it, God has never wronged any. God never inflicts heavier justice on one than another. In that absolutely amazing prayer of national confession, and I love it. Every time I read, I just, uh, I just, I can't imagine how, what a powerful man this was, Ezra. In Ezra chapter 9, 4th century B.C., powerful layman, godly layman, did a, an amazing job for Christ and, and uh, established this uh, great work. Here he was, this uh, um, pastor, layman, person serving God. Chapter 9, verse 13, seeing thou that our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve, not only does not... God ever treat anybody unfair, he actually treats us uh, much more fair than we deserve. I remember talking to one successful businessman, and I asked him how he was, and he said, brother, better than I deserve. I like that. Better than I deserve. Some would say, well, how, how could God be just when he allows us to be tempted, and he allows this? Folks, First of all, uh, God does allow us to be tempted, but God also provides grace, he says, to escape it. And so that's on us. And then the fact is God really doesn't have to uh, give account to our uh, ideas anyway. He's king of kings. Look what it says in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. Nay, but, oh man, who art thou that repliest? That means backtalk. Who in the world do you think you are, human? Back-talking God. 
Shall the thing formed say to him that formed us, why hast thou made me thus? Whoa, God isn't just. The God of the Bible isn't just. Folks, we don't even understand justice. How can we say that God is not just? Two people are in prison, let's say. Two people are guilty. They're thieves, both of them, in jail. The president, as often a president will do when they leave office, will commute a sentence. For whatever reason, the president decides to give them and pardon one of them. The other, he leaves in prison. The one he leaves in prison might say, that's unfair. Oh, what's unfair about that? You're doing the time for that which you should be doing. Just because the president decided to let some person go, that's his business. It's not unfair that I'm serving out my sentence. And that's what God is saying here. Why do you care what I do in this world? The fact is, you, I treat you justly, and I always do. The meaning of God's justice. Second of all, the measure of God's justice. Now let's go to seminary. Now we're going to get deeper. We're going to really kind of put this thing together, and I'm going to give you some terminology. I think that's important because uh, it will help you kind of frame, give you the framework for God's justice. There are three types of divine justice. Now, these are big words, but I think for some of us, we need to expand our vocabulary. Like the dad who told his teenage daughter, he said, there are two words you need to drop from your vocabulary, sweetie. One is awesome, the other is gross. She said, okay, what are they? <laughs> all right, anyway, all right. So let's get our vocabulary here, all right? Number one, there is remunerative justice or payback or rewards. Remunerative justice. This means that God is a God of perks. God always pays those who serve him. Look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. Who will render to every man according to his deeds? Folks, when you serve God, it is never for nothing. I think it was Matthew Henry that said, we may be losers for him, but we will never be losers by him. God gives rewards, not because any of us deserve it, but because he promised it. And because he promises it, he is just to what he says. Jesus reminding his followers to stay humble in Luke 17. And I love this passage. I love it. In fact, I pray this often. Look at Luke 17, verse 10. So likewise, you, when you have done all, what? When you've done everything you were commanded. Well, wow, I've done everything I've been commanded. Boy, I'm going to, come on, bring me the blessings now. God said, here's what you should do. After you have done everything you're supposed to do, say this, we are unprofitable servants. After you've done everything you're supposed to do, you really should just stop and say, even after I've done it all, the fact is I'm an unprofitable ser servant. Why? Because we've only done what is our duty. We've only done what is our duty. We shouldn't honestly expect anything. But the fact that God gives any kind of remuneration is because God is a loving, just God. There are three types of divine justice remunerative. Number two, retributive justice. That word's probably easier to understand. Retribution. 
God has the right of holy retribution. He has the right to inflict penalties on us. God disciplines, hear me, God disciplines with a set of laws. He doesn't look at uh, who we are or what we do. It is done by laws. He never does it hastily. He never does it randomly or willy-nilly. God always has full proof and evidence. Remunerative justice is an expression of His holy love. But retributive justice is an expression of His holy wrath. Did you know that God's wrath is holy? Did you know that God's wrath is right? Did you know that God's wrath is incredibly good in the sense that it's just? Retributive justice is necessary. It has to happen because God is just. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7. It says, he will by no means clear the guilty. God can't let sin go. He has to punish sin because he is just. Now let's clarify this. There are four clarifications. Number one, God sometimes uses evil people as instruments to do a good work. Now, because that God has divine retribution doesn't mean that God won't sometimes use evil people as instruments. Cyrus, for example, in the Old Testament, was an unwitting uh, instrument of God to get the people back to their promised land. But at the same time, God judged Cyrus of the world for their sin. Amazing how that God can do that. You may remember in the Old Testament the story of David who was being pursued by King Saul. You may remember that King Saul died. When he died, uh, a, one of David's followers found him, saw that he was dead, and came back running to David and said, I killed Saul. And David looked at him. Now Saul unjustly was trying to kill David. But David knew how important it was to do the right thing. He said, let me get this straight. You touched God's anointed. You killed Saul. I didn't tell you to do that. And this man started backpedaling and they took him out. My friend, God takes care of his own and God can use evil for good. How God does that, I have no idea, but I will tell you that God's retributive justice clarifies that. Number two, God lets people go on in sin and even prospers them just to render them inexcusable. I don't get it. Why does God bless these people with so much? Well, it could be that God's just uh, fattening them up for the slaughter. Romans 2 and verse 4, knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. When we stand before God and we say, oh, I was so mistreated, really. You were born in America, you were not mistreated. I don't care what your background is. If you were born in America, you have more than 90% of the world. You have been given so many blessings. And yet God in our goodness, in his goodness to us, that ought to lead us to repentance. 
That's why in verse 1 of that same chapter, it says, Thou art inexcusable, O man, inexcusable to be giving so many blessings and yet still reject God. Rejecting God and all the goodness of God is like taking a revolver, putting one bullet in the chamber, spinning that, and then playing Russian roulette. And that's what so many people I see are doing in this world. I mean, they know God has blessed them. They know they've been given so many good things. And yet they are playing with dying and going to hell just because they want to. In the midst of all these blessings, they're just thumbing their nose at God. That's why God says, you are inexcusable. I've given you so many blessings. Thirdly, the third clarification is that God sometimes, contrarily, punishes openly so that his justice will be taken notice of. Now, there are things that go on and on and on, maybe at work, maybe in a home situation, maybe in a neighborhood, maybe in a country. I mean, the things that the unprecedented attack again and again on the New Testament church in America, you just wonder when, when is God going to do something? But God does. And sometimes it's immediate. And sometimes it's just incredibly immediate. You may remember the story in Acts chapter 12 when King Herod was there bragging about what a great person he was. And the people were shouting, oh, it's the voice of a God. <laughs> and the Bible says that worms began to crawl up that throne. And they ate Herod right in front of everybody. They, that was the original Burger King right there. I mean, they just uh, turned that king into burger meat. And uh, folks, that... God just judged him immediately. I'm telling you what, there are times when God does that still today. You think, oh boy, I tell you what, God took that one out. Fourth and finally, God lets people prosper sometimes to just fill his cup of godly wrath. Look what it says in Jeremiah 25 and verse 15. The prophet was asked the question, why is God waiting? Why doesn't God do something? He is. He's just not ready to pour out his cup right now. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, take the wine and the cup of his fury at my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink it. God may look the other way for a while, or at least it seems, but don't confuse God's winking at sin, as it says in Acts chapter 17. Don't ever confuse God's winking at sin as the forgiveness of sin. God may patiently be willing to just let it go for a while. But that doesn't mean that he's forgiven it because eventually that cup just fills up and then it spills over. Eternity is a long time and God has plenty of time for reckoning. God's justice is like a sleeping lion. It may be just sleeping, but eventually it wakes up. A couple of weeks ago, I read about some guy there in India that for some whatever reason, decided he'd jump into a zoo cage of a lion enclosure. That lion was just sitting there and didn't do much. And always, I guess he just wanted to see what would happen. Jumped in there. That was not a good idea. Let me tell you, it did not go well. And that's what Nero thought. Nero thought he could do whatever he wanted without any judgment. And God took Nero out. That's what Hitler imagined. But folks, God does something. God is may take a while, but that's just because he's sharpening. 
just sharpening the axe, just he's going to take care of business. I remember one uh, man told me that uh, some young guy came to date his daughter, and so he sat him down there in the front room, and he talked to the young man, kind of thought he would, you know, just put the fear of God in him a little bit. And while he was talking to the young man the whole time, he was sharpening his big old hunting knife and uh, talking to the young man. And that was a little bit of idea there. Just in case you're wondering, I would take care of business. But folks, the fact is, God is just sharpening his sword. The wrath of God. Have you ever thought about the concept of being saved? Saved. Just think of the word. Now, we use the word born again. We hear the word being converted, uh, becoming a believer. But think about the word saved for a minute. Saved. That sounds like somebody is, you know, drowning and they're being, you know, pulled out of the water. That's true. Saved. Saved from what? Well, saved from hell. Amen. Thank God when you get saved, you're saved from hell. Saved from sin. We sang about that, you know, I'm free, I'm free. Saved from sin. But have you ever thought about this fact? That actually when you get saved, you are saved from God. We all need to be saved from God. You say, what are you saying? Folks, our God is an eternal, just God. And God will send us to hell. If we do not accept Him as Lord and Savior... We need to be saved from the wrath of God. And in that regard, I need to be saved from God. Thank God I am saved by God. <laughs> Thank God I am saved by Jesus. But God has the right to condemn us. Therefore, we ought to live in the fear of God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28. He said, you people are so crazy. You're all afraid of everything but the right thing. You ought to fear the one who has the power and authority to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I've been saying for the last year, if the American evangelical church feared God as much as they did a virus, we would have the greatest modern revival in history if we started fearing God as much as we fear some disease. Friends, the measure of God's justice is retributive. It is remunerative. And finally, there is a third type of divine justice, and that is redemptive justice. Now, there's a difference here than remunerative in that God it justly gives us what someone else bought for us, someone else redeemed for us. In other words, God the Father honors what someone else did. Now, in remunerative justice, he just honors what we did. But in redemptive justice, God honors what somebody else did. He honors what Jesus did for us. Let me explain. The moment a person gets saved because of what Jesus did on the cross... We receive this incredible big basket of amazing blessings. I, in fact, you can, we, I thought it was so amazing. Dr. Bob Ream put together 37 things that happen the moment you get saved. 
And uh, you can get it on our app there. It's a little attachment at the bottom of the notes. But let me read just a few of them. The minute you accept Christ as your Savior, because of what Jesus did, not because of anything I've done, but because of God's redemptive justice, He gives us access to God's grace, adopted into the family of God, an inheritance. Someone says, well, yeah, I go to church and you know, I am a Christian. No, if that's your attitude, you don't get it. Because the moment you get truly saved, you are elected, you become a child of God, a heavenly citizenship, an heir of God, a new creature, a servant of God, a priest of God, reconciled. You are sanctified, accepted, baptized into the Christ body. We are the love gift to the Son, buried with Christ, indwelt by Christ, possessing of eternal life, saved by Christ, peace with God, a friend of God. Our name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life, seated with Christ in heavenly places. We were given a blessed hope. We have fellowship in the Trinity, a mansion prepared. We are born again, anointed by the Holy Spirit, washed by the Holy Spirit. Our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, forgiven, justified, redeemed, an advocate, glorified. We have victory over sin, and thank God we become an ambassador. That's pretty good. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. Woo! Glory. All of that. The minute we get saved, because of what we did, no, because of what Jesus did, because of what God the Son, that is a redemptive <clears throat> reward. The high court's decision, the highest court's decision is that He's going to give us all these blessings because of what Christ did. It's a legal thing. The great reformer Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, struggled with this concept of the justice of God. How could God be just and give us salvation? It just didn't make sense to him. He struggled in particular with one verse, Psalm 72, verse 2. It says, God shall judge, actually the word, deliver his people with righteousness. What? Wait a second. How is that possible? <laughs> if God did the right thing, each of us would die and spend eternity in hell. That's the right thing. So how could God, it, since God's righteous, how could he deliver us through righteousness? That's what redemptive justice is. God the Father saw what God the Son did. He honors it and he gives us all these things based on what Jesus did. Friends, if you are saved, you have to be saved righteously. You can't be saved wrongly. People say, well, I, as I read earlier, we save ourselves. You can't save yourself. You have to be saved righteously. God is not going to let anybody into heaven unless they have been delivered righteously, as that verse says. I am delivered because of God's righteousness. There are no party crashers allowed at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You have to have a personal invitation. And you have to accept it. The meaning of God's justice. The measure of God's justice. Now finally, let's get to the meat of God's justice. Let's get down to the main course now. 
Three important principles of divine justice. Number one, God's ways are sometimes secret, but never unjust. Yes, the Lord allows his people to be afflicted and sometimes even afflicts his people. But when God disciplines, he's just polishing blemishes to his people. Look what it says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17, and they shall be mine. Saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, we are the jewels of God. The moment you become a born-again Christian, you're God's jewel. But like any jewel, you have to be chipped on a little bit. You have to be kind of polished. You have to make it look good. We used to love to go up to the foothills, and oftentimes you go in those little stores, and they have those little lapidary places where they tumble the rocks. And it's just amazing. Some old ugly looking rock turns out to be this amazing. Wow, how can that happen? God's polishing, God's sanding, and God's chipping away at us. God takes us in some private room and he chips on us. Amen. He hammers on us sometimes. He sands on us. That's what God is doing, but he's not unjust. He's just making that diamond beautiful. God is not unjust. Second of all, Because whoever perishes, that destruction is on themselves. If I die and go to hell, that's not on God. That's on me. The brokenhearted, struggling prophet, Hosea, who had a troubled home life. He poured out his heart before God and poured out his heart to the people, often weeping as he preached. He stood there with a broken life. Oh, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Israel was like Gomer, his wife. She destroyed herself. Went off, ran off and living in adultery. You've destroyed yourself. Nobody told you to do that. Why would you do that? Oh, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. The self-destructive nature of humanity, folks, is bonkers. It is absolutely crazy. I see people doing self-destructive behavior, and they do it again and again and again. And you wonder, why would you keep doing that? And I'm not talking about just physical self-destruction, oh, that's terrible. I'm talking about spiritual self-destruction. They know what God tells them, and they just will not do it. All the time, God's offering them a life jacket, and they say, no, 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 no. God said, come on, take it. No, don't want it. I'll just sit out here. I'll just, I'll just tread water as long as I can. Under the water. I mean, they're going down for the 10th time, but won't take that life jacket. If a, you, if a doctor offers medicine and you won't take it, is the, is the surgeon unjust? Is the, is the lifeguard unjust because I won't take the life jacket? No. People crawl, cry out, God is so unjust. <laughs> He's not unjust. You just won't accept the plan. You won't accept Jesus. That's why God says that this is crazy. In fact, David marveled at at the brain-dead forefathers in Israel. Look at Psalms 81. He said, these folks are crazy. What, What are they thinking? Verse 10, I am the Lord God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. Woo! Glory to God brought them out of Egypt. You would think they would be just falling on their face in gratitude. But look at verse 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice. What? That doesn't compute. 
I mean, look at verse 10. I brought them out of Egypt, verse 11, but they don't want it. Thank you, but no thank you. God says, well, that's on you. I'll tell you right now, any person that willfully opposes God's offer of grace, that's on them. That's not on God. Friend, if I die and spend eternity in hell, I can never say that God was unjust because God has given an offer of grace. Number three, eventually God will set all things right. Everybody's going to get what's coming to them. Well, I just want justice. You may not really. I, I, I just demand justice. <laughs> These people in the streets, we demand justice. You really want justice? You may not. Because if God gives you what you justly deserve, you may not like that. Why well, I demand justice. Well, justice is going to come. Look what it says. And look who's going to do it. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in absolute righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained. Yes, Jesus will be the judge. God's laws are not for a show. They're not to just put on some plaque and hang on the wall. They're to put in our heart. The Ten Commandments. Oh, how wonderful. Folks, those are beautiful just laws. They're not made for a movie. Social justice. If you want to be a real advocate for reform, then become a, an agent of godly change, a warrior of divine justice. Go around and let everybody know the beauty of God's Word. When someone was crucified in the ancient Roman days, a a placard was nailed to that cross which listed their crime. Above them, as they were being crucified, their crime was listed. When Jesus died on a cross, we are told in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, that there was a listing of sins against him. Now think about that. Against my Savior was every sin I committed. There on the cross, above his head, were the sins of every person. Above his head, adulterer. Above his head, murderer. Above his head, blasphemer. Above his head, every sin that humans would ever commit. My Jesus took every sin that was legal evidence by God the Father, unassailable. The case was watertight. No wiggle room, no technicalities. You are been found guilty. We are guilty of God's righteousness. And that's why I'm done. I mean, I'm done in. I am absolutely, there is no way I can go to heaven. There's just no way. Because even at my best, I've still sinned. And that's why God the Father looked down and said, 
These are the sins that are against you. They are uh, listed here. The case is open and closed. It's done. But then God, the judge, said, I now will come down and be God, your Savior. And so he came and took on my sin. Even though those were really my sins on the cross, he took them. That's why we sang a few moments ago, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. In light of that, what can I do? There are three big things I've encouraged us to be doing over these last few weeks and the three big B's of the Christian life. And I'm talking about, you know, maybe you've heard of businesses that have an A-plus business rating or somebody that has an A-plus credit rating. Well, I'm talking about A-plus Christianity. Believe. Believe. Just totally rely on Jesus today. Believe. Be baptized. Be unashamed. Take the plunge. We have believers' baptism now. We'll do it every Sunday if we need to. Just go out there and say, I want to do this and then belong. Commit yourself and be faithful to a local Bible-believing church. We invite you to this one. But I just say these are the things that we can do in light of God's justice. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our 